I'd like to invite you into the Library of Impossible Things. The library is a place where I collect items that Doctor Who fans love, and I also collect their stories too. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome my good friend, Mr. Daniel Knight. Hello. Hello, Si. Lovely to be here. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. And you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, looking forward to, to talking with you. Yeah, well, we're on Doctor Who anniversary eve as we record tonight, so this is a good time to, know, to be yeah. chatting Doctor Who, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward, yeah. Yeah, so Daniel, what's your object? Well, my object is, um, and I'm for those of you listening at home, I'm holding it up to show Sai. It's my rather battered um, 1970s Louis Marx yellow Dalek, which... Um, I seem to remember being bought for me in a in a shop in Aberdeen when I think it must have been about three. So we're talking 47 years ago. I have a very strong memory of it being with the batteries being put in and it racing around my grandmother's kitchen floor. Yeah, there's not much. The the uh, the eye stalk and the, the appendages are, are, are long gone and it's been well played with over the years, not just by myself, but also by my children. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's the earliest bit of Doctor Who merchandise that I that I own, as far as I know. Certainly, that's the earliest thing that I can remember getting. Um, I'm just absolutely fascinated by Daleks as well. Just um, I think a vague memory of watching them in Genesis of the Daleks, which I think was the repeat, and how the screen went negative when everyone was was shot and. I think I was a bit scared of it, um, and I think when I, I mentioned in my blog about the noise of the Dalek guns scared me, and even now I still get that little frisson if I hear that that noise. It's very sad, isn't it? But um, it's just that sort of memory of being scared of that noise as a kid. Daleks have always fascinated me. I think in the same way that some people like steam trains. I, I always remember my <laughs> father-in-law um, in his speech at our wedding mentioned my Dalek fetish. <laughs> which as as someone who's who's got a a nine foot by six foot model railway in his garden is in, in in his in his garage is a little bit uh you know it's a bit cheeky but there we go i do have a lot of daleks He's, he has, does have a point but i think fetish is going a little bit too far <laughs> i mean that's a very odd fetish it <laughs> is <laughs> um yeah man, he's a, a wonderful wonderful item i must say um because i was slightly too young for for the, the Louis Marx Daleks. I think they'd stopped production by the time I was was aware of Doctor mm. Who. They were one, I remember seeing them in Doctor Who magazine in the early 80s when they did a big thing about merchandise. I, thinking, oh, I would love one of those, especially the ones that were battery operated and trundled around and, and yeah. things like that. But I've never owned one. To this day, I, I still never got myself one. It always puzzled me why it was why they'd coloured them yellow because they weren't yellow on the television, and even as a even as a kid, I was always slightly disappointed that it wasn't as they appeared on TV, and um, and I've got I've got one of the the red Palatoy ones as well. Again, it's it's arms and eye stalk are, are long gone. In fact, I think I bought that at a at a car boot sale for about fifty p when I was about eight or nine. So they they both sat together, and again, you didn't have red Daleks on television, but you just it they they were Daleks. So I just sort of it's you know fifty p, even even as an even as an eight year old, that was fifty p well spent. 
absolutely i had a red dalek um similar to that that i bought at a car boot sale <laughs> as well so <laughs> but yeah um, it's interesting because the the 60s ones were very definitely silver and black which are very dalek colors but mm -hmm. the yellow is an odd choice <laughs> It was the 70s. I think they just it wanted was, to go for something a bit more bright and colourful. <laughs> and of course, maybe it was, you know, thinking in the future that we would actually one day have a yellow Dalek, as we did in Victory wow. the Daleks. Oh. No. Yeah. Good 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Everything comes back round eventually. Someone will be, <laughs> oh, I have a yellow Dalek. Yeah, we'll pop that on TV. <laughs> this is it. Maybe maybe Stephen Moffat had one of these as well as he, as, as he was a kid. It's entirely possible. So he'd be about the right age for that. So, yeah, yeah. who knows? Yeah. So was it the Daleks that started it all off for you, Daniel? I think so. I think I was more aware of Daleks. I did have a Dalek annual as well, which I think was one of the first books. And then also somebody bought me the Dalek book from the, the one that's the, the target um, Dalek, Terry Nation's Dalek Special, I think it's called, and I've still got mm -hmm. that. Um, and it's, it's, you know, again, for, for a book that's over 40 years old, it's it's slightly the worse for wear and the bits are falling out and the pages are falling out. But it, again, I poured, poured over it and, and loved learning about, you know, the past Dalek stories and, you know, hearing about stories that sounded so exciting, like the chase and the day of the Daleks and the planet of the Daleks. It was really... Yeah, very much, you know, money well spent. Did your copy of the Dalek special fall to pieces? Because they were notorious for doing that. It did. It was very well read, um, as was the canine and other mechanical creatures, one that I also got. Um, yes, I've still got them somewhere, but they've, um, yeah, the pages kept falling out. And uh, I've managed to keep it intact, but yeah, in, in bits. And uh, again, sort of kept out of, out of reach of children because... Uh, they're eagerness to, to read all about Doctor Who. They've got their own Doctor Who books that people have bought for them over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's very early on, sort of quite keen to know about Daleks and all the other things that, that you know, Cybermen. And it was just sort of like a rich history of things to learn about. Mm -hmm. Oh, wasn't it? I, I always think that sort of, particularly for, for our generation of fans, Doctor Who was like archaeology of finding out a little bit at a time and working out what the layers were and finding out the whole story because we didn't have access to, to very much information, particularly when I when I was very young, before Doctor Who Weekly and, and stuff started. Mm -hmm. There wasn't very much out there that you could, could find yourself. No. No, it was only sort of the turn of the, the 80s where... You've got Doctor Who magazine or Doctor Who monthly, as it was then. Um, I seem to remember starting to get it about sort of issue 45 or 46. And there was one edition, which I think it was issue 47, where they did sort of like a, a history of Doctor Who, the making of it. And with dates and, and special events like, um, you know, when Doctor Who started and when it, the Daleks first came in. And then all the way through to sort of towards the end of season 17, where... Shada was was scuppered by a strike and I just absolutely loved this this history it was like it was it was history I mean it was only 17 years which now seems very little but for then for us it seemed you know ages ago and 
I, I know you've listened. I've been listening to your commentary about an unearthly child, and I remember watching the Five Faces of Doctor Who, and it just, as it as you said, it seemed like ancient history. It was only yeah. seventeen years ago at, at the time, and I remember because it was on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then on Friday you had also instead of Doctor Who, you had a black and white. I think it was one of the Sherlock Holmes movies with Basil Rathbone. They used mm-hmm. to be shown on BBC quite frequently. And they sort of seemed contemporary with each other, even though the Basil Rathbone movies were about 30 years older than Doctor Who. But in some cases, the, the film quality was much better because the BBC didn't really keep very good quality um, copies of, of their old episodes of, of anything, really. And it looks, if you look at those early VHSs as well, it's very, you know, sometimes it's like listening through a, yes. <laughs> through a, through a bucket with your head on and... Certainly, episode one of the Seat of De- Seat of Death. It's very, right. very noticeable when it goes to the cliffhanger, and then suddenly you get this pristine five millimeter film. Yes, I always remember yes. that. That's, yeah, yeah, that sudden rise in quality that was unexpected. It's like, oh, have we? Yes. Oh, yeah. That it's almost like that. That, that um, <laughs> Ice Warrior blast sort of cleared the screen, and suddenly after that, it's all nice and clean again, all nice and <laughs> nice and bright and shiny. Yeah, it, I think it always depended on which prints they picked up off the shelf, and no one did any sort of quality mm-hmm. control, and just oh well, that one will do. Because uh, I always remember the the moon base on Cybermen the early years, where episode four I think was just almost completely indecipherable because the sound was so appalling. I, yes, I we're we're very fortunate nowadays. We've got people sort of unsung heroes of Doctor Who, like Mark Ayres and the restoration team, who have worked so hard just to make what seemed like something from the the dark ages to be only you know from yesterday apart from the fact that it's in black and white the restoration has been amazing and to, to think about how far we've come in those years yeah so you obviously started with Tom Baker as your doctor yes yeah very much so. was he one of the the other reasons that that um you loved Doctor Who Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I still do. I, I, I sort of, it's this week it's been, um, there was in the news about how he's said in an interview that he's slightly can, cantankerous or contemptuous of the do- of the other doctors. And you just say, oh, Tom, just, you know, even in his old age, he's still, I mean, he's eight, he's mm-hmm. 90 next year. And you just say, oh, you just, just let it go, Tom. There are other doctors, just, just let it go. But for, yeah, for the six-year-old me watching you know, City of Death and the rest of season 17 in, in 1977, he wasn't Tom Baker, he was Doctor Who. Um, and he had been Doctor Who. So when it came out that there were other Doctors before him, it was mm-hmm. quite a shock. And I just, it was, I I remember seeing one Doctor Who weekly edition with um, a picture of John Pertwee on the cover with a Sontar. And I'm thinking, hang on, that's that's not the Doctor. And looking inside, it was something about Marco Polo, and you just say, "Hang on, who? What's going on here?" And it was really weird to think that my doctor wasn't just the doctor. There were these other doctors, and there was this old man, and then this this other guy with sort of a beetle haircut, and then the guy who played Wurzel Gummidge, because that was when mm-hmm. Wurzel Gummidge was on the television. I, I sort of could recognise that this guy was 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 Wurzel Gummidge, and that's how I started thinking about you know, watching things on television, thinking, oh, that's so-and-so. He's been, even at an early age, I was still thinking, oh, hang on, they, that's, that person has been in Doctor Who or that person's been in Blake Seven or something. And and 
yeah, sort of fan tendencies sort of sprung up from a very early age to it, much to the horror or, or um, uh, uh, you know, disinterest of my parents and my sisters. Ah, because I had a mum who very much encouraged all of that. She was very good at actor spotting and would would do that with me and say, oh, do you re- I remember watching Dragonfire and her saying, oh, that's the guy who was one of the Movellans in, in Destiny of the Daleks, and which I wouldn't have spotted, but she, wow. she mm. remembered. So, yeah, I definitely got some of these tendencies from my parents <laughs> from or from my mum. My dad couldn't be more disinterested in all of that. My my dad had a slight interest in Doctor Who. He remembered watching the original series with William Hartnell. He said there's never been a Doctor since. He's very much like Peter Purvis. Never been a Doctor who compare who can compare with with William Hartnell. He didn't didn't really like um, Troughton or Pertwee, but he did like Tom Baker. I did I do, I do remember coming home once. Um, I had a Saturday job at a supermarket, and I came home to find him watching my copy of Talent of <laughs> Wen Chiang while he was doing doing the ironing. And I'm thinking, hang on, you don't like? Do- I thought you didn't like Doctor Who. He said, well, yeah, well, just just something to watch while I'm doing the ironing. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. But we did watch we did watch Doctor Who together mm-hmm. as a family, um, and also Blake Seven as well. And my, my dad. I think my dad was more into Blake Seven than than Doctor Who. I think he sort of saw Doctor Who now as being a bit bit childish and and, and a bit for kids. But we were allowed to watch it. Um, my mother always said, um, "No, I ne- she never watched Doctor Who. She was always in the kitchen when that was on." And um, you know, various girlfriends that I brought home, she would ask, "Has he made you watch Doctor Who yet?" <laughs> and even said to, even said to to Deb when um, when you know I introduced them. Uh, to her sort of has he made has has he got you to watch Doctor Who yet and Deb was sort of saying well yeah actually I I, I quite like it because I started watching it with David Tennant so yeah that's uh we we, we do watch it together as a mm-hmm. as, as husband and wife so that 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 helps that helps mm. so how did you find sort of your fandom of the show sort of develop as you got older did you find sort of that you got sort of more into it the more you knew about it or oh very much so yeah did you have time off because everyone I ask seems to say oh yeah I had a period where I wasn't into it so much no I don't think I did I just I I regardless of who the doctor was throughout the 80s I just carried on watching it I I loved to, I, I wrote into Doctor Who magazine to say how much I loved time on the Rani um, they did print my oh, name wrong. They, they called me David Knight rather than Daniel Knight. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I've, I never stopped watching it. In fact, even after it finished in 1989, because that's you know the year the year later they they started bringing out a lot more stories on video, and so it just kept going on and on and on. And I I remember thinking, sort of towards when they started getting towards the end of the video releases sort of the early 2000s i'm thinking well maybe maybe i'll stop you know it'll you know once i've got everything on that that's available on on video and then started getting it on dvd i might just sort of, it, it, it that's it that the interest might fade or it'll just be something else or I'll, I'll find something else and then the series came back but yeah even through the what what some fans call the dark ages or the, you know the mid to late 80s no, I, I stayed watching it. I, I carried on watching it and carried on enjoying watching it. I did get the Mickey taken out of me at school. Um, mm-hmm. And 
you're sh- you're nodding your head, so you're obviously in the same boat. But that was, I, you know, I I didn't see why I should stop watching Doctor Who because other people didn't like it and thought it was silly. I enjoyed it. I didn't tell them to stop watching stuff that they probably would have been watching, like the Eighteen, which I always thought was very boring. I just I just enjoyed it and regardless of who the doctor was whether it was peter davison colin baker or sylvester mccoy i i I enjoyed all of them um i wasn't quite so fond of bonnie langford as mel i thought she was a little bit over the top and i i did miss nicola bryant as perry but then she bonnie wasn't in it for long and i've i've grown to appreciate bonnie a lot more as um as an adult Uh, i think it's quite nice that for for a rarity in 80s Doctor Who, we've got a companion who actually wants to be with the Doctor and actually wants to investigate and is quite, you know, quite into into the spirit of adventure rather than whining about wanting to go back to the TARDIS and being a gobby Australian or a, a whiny American botany student. Um, and then, of course, we had Ace and she was, I she absolutely fell in love with Ace and absolutely adored her and you know, the bit in Remembrance of the Daleks where she's, you know, bashing up the Dalek with a baseball bat. I mean, interestingly enough, with Remembrance of the Daleks, there did seem to be a little bit of a turning point where the people at school said, oh, we watched Doctor Who because we thought we heard the Daleks were in it. It was actually quite good. And, you know, the cliffhanger to part one, it really got people interested again. Um, So then for those four weeks, Doctor Who suddenly, necessarily cool, but it, it wasn't the... You know, you, I wasn't the social pariah for watching it that I had been. Didn't last long, though, did it? With um, no. Venus Patrol. <laughs> I had a, exactly the same experience where people just coming in and say, do you know what, actually, this is all right. Mm. And then the Happiness Patrol happened and it was straight back down. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I've, I've sort of the emotional scars of having the mickey taken out of, out of me for Bertie Bassett as being... The new Doctor Who villain was, yeah. I don't yeah. care if it is a parody of, you know, a, a take on Thatcher's Britain. It's still the one with Bertie Bassett for me. Yeah, and um, it took me years to appreciate it in mm-hmm. any way whatsoever after that. So I was quite scarred by that. I think there are, are many similar stories and many similar fan, fans who had exactly the same experience in 1988, which is a shame because after that, it was very good. <laughs> yes, it got yeah. I mean that last series in 1989. I yeah, it was you know if Battlefield was sort of decided decided to be the, the the weakest of the the season, and if that's your weakest story, then I think you've got a really good you've mm-hmm. got a really good series. A bit like um, season 13, which I think is probably my favourite classic series season. If your weakest story is the Android Invasion, which is still pretty good. And very enjoyable, and I can watch Tom and Liz. They could just be reading the telephone directory. I, I, I'd actually quite like to hear Tom Baker reading a, a, um, a telephone directory. <laughs> I would imagine he would make it absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. So it's yeah. I've, I whatever, whichever Doctor, I I've always enjoyed them, and slightly fell out of Pertwee after I watched the Demons. I thought he was a bit of a, a, a pompous ass in that, but um, I don't really. I think watching Doctor Who out of sequence, you don't see the progression in some Doctors. And I'd seen before that, I'd seen Spearhead from Space and 
um, Death of the Daleks on video, and I think there was also the Time Warrior, and then they showed the Sea Devils, and I think they absolutely love the Sea Devils. It's one of my favourite Pertwee stories. And then going through the repeat season, um, then we got the Demons, and I just thought, I didn't actually think it was that good anyway, the story. There was some, some of the effects were a bit rubbish, and some of the acting was even worse. So it wasn't quite the all-encompassing classic that everybody seemed to think it was. I'm sure, I mean, it is good. It is good. But I think I just, I felt very, it's the one Doctor Who story I felt very disappointed about. It didn't really sort of live up to the expectations of what fans were saying of how wonderful it was. I did have one fan telling me they they pitied me because I dared to say <laughs> that, um, that, that I didn't think The Demons was very good. I, I'm not going to say who it is, but I, I, I think you can imagine who it might be. <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredibly scary because you have very similar opinions about things to me. I, I have a similar aversion to the demons, um, which I've had since I first saw it, and I just didn't get on with Pertwee being a git to everyone mm. at all. And I I still don't rate it particularly highly either. So, and as I say, I love Pertwee, and particularly I love cuddly Pertwee a bit later on. But yeah, season eight, Perwe, I really struggled with. <laughs> I, I I think he's quite good in, you know, take him out of unit in Colony in Space. He's really quite good. Um, There's sort of the the idea of him coming back into space, and he's the Doctor that we know, um, and he's that that's quite good. And when he says about to the Master, I don't want to I don't want to rule the universe. I want to explore it. I want to enjoy it. That that was really quite good. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's that scene in episode three where he's giving the the lecture tour, the the, le- the slide lecture, and then has a go at the brigadier because he's planning to blow it up. And then Joe says, "Oh, what a, what a silly thing for him to say." And then, you know, very hypocritically of the doctor, he turns around and says, "You should, you know, respect your your the brigadier because he's your senior officer." And you just think, "Oh, hang on, don't be such an ass," you know. Yes, <laughs> she's, she's she's just trying to you know back you up. I think it would have been much more effective at the end if, uh, you know, when Joe said, when, when the doctor comes in to rescue Joe from Azal, um, instead of saying, no, don't kill him, kill him, she should go, Ashraj, you know what? Go on, kill him. I don't yeah. care. He's been, he's been horrible to me. Go and get rid of him. And that would have made him, hang on, he's coming to rescue you and you're saying he's horrible to you. Why is he coming to, boom, there you go. That's a much better yeah. ending for me. <laughs> I do love it when they work out that the best way to deal with with John Pertwee's doc, they work out that Joe's relationship should be pricking his pomposity mm-hmm. and suddenly um, not taking it, and suddenly the relationship is far far sort of better, and yes. she's she's sort of getting the better of him yeah. as much as he's getting the better of her. I love that relationship, mm-hmm. particularly sort of Carnival of Monsters onwards. I think they're absolutely superb. Yeah. Uh, there's that wonderful bit in Frontier in Space where they're in the they're, they're locked up in is it part one or part two and um, she says right I've got an idea I'll start groaning and pretending to be ill and then the guard can come in and then you do your Venusian karate and then we'll get the plat we'll we'll take over the spaceship and we'll take it to Earth because he's just sat there with a big smile on his face saying and he says Joe that this spaceship is going to Earth isn't it and it's just it's so much nicer than saying oh for goodness sake Joe. You know, yeah, it's, exactly. it's it's mm-hmm. yeah, and she she tries, bless her heart, she does try. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. Like, I mean, who doesn't like Katie Manning? 
I know, it's impossible not to like Katie Absolutely. Manning. No. I mean, apart from the bit where she goes um, curses foiled again in the Time Monster, but that's a story that I I don't get on with at all. So <laughs> let's move on. Let's keep this let's keep this positive. Mm-hmm. So. Who is your TARDIS team then? If it's not John Pertwee. Oh gosh. I mean I I I don't know if I will put this in any order, but obviously I, I think Tom Tom Baker and Liz Sladen together are just absolutely wonderful. Um and I I, I mean I adore Liz Sladen. I thought she was wonderful when she came back in, in school reunion. And then to have such a big success with the Sarah Jane adventures. And I know you said that you have a little bit, we said, mentioned on Twitter the other day, or X, whatever we want to call it, that you you didn't, that's where you fell in love with Sarah, and you weren't quite so. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one, because because of all the repeats and, and the Genesis of the Dalek cassette and things like that, she was sort of there throughout my childhood, and I sort of undervalued her a bit, because I knew her voice so well, and I always thought, and I, I could never quite understand why everyone said, oh, Sarah Jane was the best companion. And I think there was a bit of the contrariness in me. It was like, well, obviously she's not. There are far better people than she is. And, you know, you have those moments when you're a teenager that sort of settle your um, um, sort of opinions for a while. And and I think I quite liked being different to everyone else in that way. And I wasn't really paying attention to what she was doing. And it was school reunion that absolutely crystallize that where i suddenly got it yeah and i could see why she was so brilliant and why they'd chosen her to come back and suddenly it clicked and i absolutely fell in love with her in that that story she was so good yeah. and then i went back and re-watching her stories after that sort of seeing this i yeah i could see exactly why she was so brilliant i just had been stubborn enough to not not look properly at what was going on. I mean, as a kid, I loved... I mean, Tom, with both Romanas and K-9, were just... That was wonderful. And they're, they're sort of from childhood, very much sort of the Doctor, the, the Companion and, the, and K-9. That was, that was Doctor Who for me. So then you get season 18 where Romana and K9 disappear and you get Adric and then you get Nyssa and then you get Tegan. So uh, from a childhood perspective, one of my favourite TARDIS teams is the season 19 lineup. And I know that a lot of people go, oh, yes, but there's too many of them and Adric's rubbish and Tegan's always moaning and Nyssa never gets to do anything and she collapses. And then, you know, in the visitation, she's sent off to build her vibrator in her room and let's not go there. Um and um, it's, but I just, as a kid, I loved them. I mean, I yeah, I preferred Nissa to Tegan because Tegan always wins all the time. And, Te- and Nissa was more the traditional sort of companion. And I, I know that's something that Peter Davison always said that, you know, uh, he wanted he wanted just to have Nissa because she was the traditional sort of companion, whereas Adric was a brat and Tegan didn't want to be there. Interestingly enough, my opinion of Tegan changed when I met Janet Fielding as a kid. She came to um, a, a local fair that I was that we went to and got a picture of her somewhere with my two sisters and I. Um, and she was lovely. I always remember she sounded a lot. Her voice was a lot deeper. The accent wasn't quite. She sounded very posh. And if you watch um, sort of interviews from that time, 
there's a lot of interviews. Uh, there's a wonderful um, Twitter account, Doc2 1983, showing sort of interviews and around the 20th anniversary. And I was watching one yesterday where they had, it was her and Mark Strickson and Nicholas Courtney and um, Mary Tam on Pebble Mill. And she sounds very posh. And I think she was married to somebody who didn't quite like her being, didn't like her Australian and wanted her to be a bit more English. And now, of course, nowadays she you know, don't care and, you know, her accent's back to being normal. So I, I, I appreciate Tegan. I got to appreciate Tegan more after after I'd met Janet Fielding, who was not bolshy and not whiny like Tegan was. She was lovely. And I think also there are some very nice moments for Tegan. I think she's wonderful in Enlightenment. She's great in Snake Dance. We know that. Um and she's she's quite um, towards you know towards the end of her time she she becomes a bit more gentle and a bit more sort of the traditional companion. I mean, the the outfits that she gets to wear are, uh, get worse and worse. I mean, <laughs> not really sure a leather a leather skirt leather mini skirt and high heels are, are ideal for you know battling tractators and Daleks, but. You know, as, as John Nathan oh, said, yeah. it's something for the dads. Didn't she? Somebody said to her about um, about her legs. I don't know what you're worried about. Your legs, they're sturdy, but they're beautiful. <laughs> so, I mean, that's no, damning, is it, isn't it? Is it any wonder she sort of kept away from fandom after people were saying that to her? Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> poor woman! No one deserves that. <laughs> but it's really, I find it really lovely that sort of later in life she's embraced it completely and has come all the way back and mm. has sort of come round in a cycle about Doctor Who. Yes. And she's I mean, seeing that trailer at the end of Legend of the Sea Devils last year, I'm thinking, they've what? I mean I always imagine that's that Sophie Aldred would come back because Ace is just such a popular companion and Sophie Aldred has always been very open about her love for Doctor Who. But to sit, to, uh, Janet Fielding, you know, she would be top of the list of actors actors not to come back to Doctor Who. Bit like Bonnie Langford, maybe, and and Maureen O'Brien and Peter Purvis <laughs> and all these people now who, you know, I remember reading interviews with Maureen O'Brien and and Peter Purvis in in Doctor Who magazine in the nineteen eighties, and they they didn't they were quite dismissive of being in Doctor Who, but now they're doing you know these the wonderful tales of the tardis that they've done um i don't know about you but watching all of them i felt quite emotional yeah it was weird i it was um unexpectedly it was colin and nicola that got me which mm-hmm. i didn't see coming at all i thought it was going to be jamie and zoe mm-hmm. um but that did but colin and nicola for some reason was the one that really and they're not one of my favourite TARDIS teams, but I had this bond with them that I didn't realise yeah. I'd got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think there was so much unfinished business for, for Colin and, mm-hmm. and for Nicola as well, particularly with her ending, that it was just lovely to see them back together again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we've we've I mean I've enjoyed them with, you know, big finish. Not repairing the damage, but building on what was established back in the 1980s and and moving towards a more you know traditional sort of doctor companion relationship it's still with that sort of you know 
acid wit a little bit about them and but they're I, I I don't always buy that Colin's doctor is actually unpleasant I don't think we tend to sort of think of him you think of Colin Baker and Nicola Brighton and you think, oh yeah because he strangled her in the first and it's it's just that one you know 30 second bit that sort of has tainted their their relationship or the 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 fans' interpretation of their relationship. They do actually, you know, get on and he puts it, he puts his arm around her and I always remember that seeing that their their opening TARDIS scene in Attack of the Cybermen and he says he's really quite gentle with her and says, Oh, I, I promise I won't be like that and he sort of, you know, taps on the nose and is quite mm-hmm. quite gentle and quite cuddly. Um and she, they're both lovely people having the pleasure of meeting them and they both love the show and that's that's the thing that always that I'm always delighted about that's one of the one of the reasons why I, I rate Colin Baker's Doctor so highly is because his love for the show is so strong it, it it's you know they treated him really badly he could have turned around and said you know I don't want anything to do with this show but God bless him he loves the show he loves the fans and he's, you know, all these years later, he's still supporting the fans. He's still supporting the show. And I think that that's that's what makes him one of my favourite Doctors, to be honest. It's quite admirable, really, isn't it? After mm. after the show did him did him dirty, really. They dumped on him, basically, it, yeah. It's, yeah, it's to his credit that he did come back and has come back every time he's been asked and has championed the show sort of ever since. And he, when he was on the show, he would do various sort of, you know, publicity sh- shoots, and he would do appearances on Swap Shop. Not, not wasn't Swap Shop then, was it? it was Saturday Superstore and Blue Peter. And he'd always be in costume. And I always got the impression that he really loved being the Doctor. He absolutely loved the whole thing, not just not just you know acting the part, but being the Doctor and being accessible to children and being seen as the doctor rather than peter davison who would always seem slightly slightly removed yeah slightly uncomfortable yeah back yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but colin just seemed to love it and just really sort of i guess guess he sort of you know because of his career he'd been famous for playing villains he'd been in the brothers and and so here was an opportunity to be a children's hero and he loved it and you can see Mm -hmm. he loves it um and he's and he's you know he's still the doctor today. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as I said in in the first episode of this podcast, for anyone who's listened to it, um, I met him on my tenth birthday, and he was absolutely fantastic with a very shy and nervous mm-hmm. sort of ten year old. He was brilliant. He took so much time to talk to me, and it, it was just magical. I mean, yeah. it's magical meeting someone from TV anyway. <laughs> And he was the only person in my childhood that that I did really until well until my teens when I I met Sylvester and Sophie, yeah, um, while they were still on TV. But yeah, and just meeting someone that is your hero is is a really big thing. Mm. I mean, I have to say, I don't think I've ever met anyone from Doctor Who who wasn't nice and who wasn't sort of, you know, just a convention or an appearance, you know, signing thing just for the money. They were there because they actually wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were always been very genuine and very friendly. I mean, Louise, J- Louise Jameson is another one who's always championed the show and, you know, is very proud of what she did and um, and very supportive of the show. 
uh, yeah, there, there've been some lovely people involved with Doctor Who, and it's it does mm-hmm. feel like a family, and that's one of the I'm going to say that's one of the attractions of the show. I think that's one of because everyone I know Tom said he's slightly contentious of the other doctors, but he and Louise have sort of made up after you know not quite getting on when they were working together, and they you know they work well together since you know doing the big finishes, um, and the unit family that everybody got on well and. Uh, it just seems to be that this show does have that sort of warmth to it behind the camera as well as on screen. And I always sort of imagine that they, they do this, that the the actresses and Doctor Who, the, the companions sort of meet up regularly and you see them interacting on Twitter and Casey Manning's sort of tweeting to Nicola Bryant. And they're just, it, it's just lovely to be part of that. And to see that and to witness that. And I'm sure it's not manufactured. I mean, it's not, they do genuinely get on with each other and they probably sort of meet up and chat. And, and I, I just, I just have that, just have that idea that they, they all meet up, that ladies who lunch and they, you know, yes. they're all sitting there and the waiters are sat there, you know, sweeping up and waiting for them all. They're all drinking their coffee and busy yakking away and, Waiting for them, waiting for them all to, to, you know, the waiters are waiting for them to get out because they want to go home. Yeah, and I've always sort of loved the fact that Sophie Aldred said that Katie Manning was her favourite when she was younger and she, she'd grown up watching her. And then to find out then that sort of later in life they became and are really good friends mm. is that's a, that's a really lovely thing. And there aren't many other shows where that kind of thing happens. No, I mean, they've just had the the 60th anniversary uh, shoot for the Radio Times, and you've got um, Carol Ann Ford standing next to Mandip Gill. I mean, you know, those f- fifty odd years in the program between the two of them, it looks like they they really get on. They, they were getting on, and there's Bonnie Langford with um, uh, Millie. It's Millie, Millie Gibson, yeah. isn't it? Millie Gibson, and yeah. they're, they've obviously they've worked together on the new series, and they're they're having a laugh and joking, and there's just I. It just some, seems to be something about this show that people really sort of warm to and, and they get on with each other and it's just such a nice show to work on. And I don't know if there's any... I'm sure there are other shows like that. I'm sure, you, you know. But it doesn't seem to be... Or maybe I just don't notice it. But, you know, you don't get EastEnders conventions, do you? You don't get... <laughs> no, you, don't. you don't get, you know, whoever's in EastEnders now talking to Anita Dobson from back in... Who was in it back in the 80s. You... It's quite a unique thing, Doctor Who, isn't it? Because it's just gone on for so long, and now and and the people who were in it sixty years ago are now still in touch with the people who are in it at the moment. It's it's weird, mm-hmm. but it's lovely. It is. It's a it's a very special thing. Have you met many other fans, sort of through your life, or was Doctor Who a sort of solitary thing for you? It's pretty much solitary, but recent last couple of years, um, you know, following people on Twitter and and doing these podcasts, it's it's brought out a wonderful sort of the hamster family, you know, the ham fam have been amazing. It's just lovely to talk to people, even if it is only on you know Zoom or whatever. Um, to share ideas and share share the love really and I, again everybody's very respectful of other people's opinions and if somebody doesn't like something you know I, we, we we tease 
Fraser because of the Dominators and and the Doctor and the Widow and the Wardrobe, and he's actually made me reappraise the, the the Dominators. I've actually I, I actually after him hearing him talk about, it, I went back and watched. It. I thought, Do you know what, this isn't actually bad. And we, you wanted you you asked me about favourite tar, Tardis teams and the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe. They're all wonderful together, aren't they? And again, that's that's that stems back from watching the Crotons, the Five Faces, and then the Seeds of Death video. Um, these podcasts have sort of helped you to help me to go back and sort of reevaluate stories that I might have just written off. I mean, I don't. I think out of all the how many Doctor Who stories have been there? It's nearly three hundred now, haven't there? Over three hundred. Yeah, something like that. And I think out of all of three hundred, there's probably about five that I I don't really like. That's not a bad batting average, really, is it? That's pretty damn good, actually, I, isn't I, it? You could, you know, I, I could vent my spleen about, you know, the, the Time Monster or the Magician's Apprentice, but as some, I think Fraser said, you know, if you if if you don't like something, and and somebody else somebody else does like that something, then they win. They they, and you know, fair play to someone if somebody does enjoy the Time Monster or somebody does enjoy the Magician's Apprentice or um, nightmare and silver or whatever you know that's good for them I, I i've learned a lesson to sort of not sort of go well that's rubbish and and you know rain on their parade because if they do like something if they do like something i don't like then that's that's good they win they've they can they can enjoy it and i'm sure there might be something an episode that i like that they won't like it's it's um there's a there's a lot of freedom in 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 liking certain episodes of Doc Two now than there was back in the day, and uh, you know didn't have to be afraid of admitting that you liked Time and the Rani or um, you know City of Death or the Horns of Nymon, whatever. People are a bit more. We've we've now that we've got everything on you know accessible to us, we we are free to make up our own own minds rather than being dictated to by older fans as it was back in the old yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. And I think there is a lot more sort of re-evaluation of stories now that they're more freely available than mm. than there was sort of back in the day when the few people who could remember them would tell you what they thought and that was what you what you believed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I I was always quite quite saddened when I found out that that everybody or that, the, that a lot of fans didn't like season 17 because that was my starting point for the show. That's when I started watching it fairly regularly. I sort of memories of various sort of episodes before that, but nothing sort of all the way through after, before Destiny of the Daleks, which I know I, it was the story that you said that you, yes. you, you it was your first one. So I was quite sad that nobody in, enjoyed this, that I, and there's sort of, a general opinion that anything after 1977 wasn't wasn't as good as anything before that but now you know the gunfighters i think a lot of people enjoy it more than now that we can watch it and make our own minds and like you and i don't particularly rate the demons but that's fine because i actually we might actually prefer invasion of the dinosaurs or yes. the monster of peladon mm-hmm. You, you look past the, the the rubbish dinosaurs, and actually, it's a really good story. Um, and the music, exactly. I think, and, as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know, anyone who can appreciate the horns of Nymon is fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I find it very odd that this evening I could just dial that up on iPlayer and watch an episode of that with my dinner. It just oh, feels very, very strange. After years of sort of, I think, what would I have been like if I'd had that all as a child and had access to everything? It would be, it's a very strange thing to contemplate because it took so long to see all of Doctor Who. Did you have UK gold as as growing up in the 90s? Because I didn't. Yes. Okay. On and off. Right. So, um, so I missed all the Hartnell and Troughton stuff, but we'd got it in time for Pertwee. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so I did see sort of lots of Pertwee for the first time then, and then I went off to university. So then I missed most of Tom. <laughs> so, ah, okay, but then I caught up with that later on. So you know, it all all sort of worked out in the end. But mm-hmm. okay, no, I didn't. I didn't bother getting UK Gold because I thought, well, I'll just wait for them to come out and on on video. And I didn't really want to give Rupert Murdoch any any of my money, to be honest. But um, I just, yeah, it was. That's the thing about when when they stopped making the series in 1989, they started a real sort of comprehensive releasing schedule of of the old store old stuff. So my interest was still there. It was and and seeing stories from before I was born or around from when I was born, and I you know had no recollection of, and and also with the, the early Tom stuff, some of the ones that I had sort of vague memories of, never really never really disappointed me. Um, I never really thought, oh, that's not as good as I remember. Or in some cases, yeah, you sort of, you know, you accept that the visual effects aren't aren't up to the standards of of, of today. But yeah, I I I don't watch Doctor Who because it's got dodgy effects. I I watch it because I enjoy it. There's sort of some fans sort of seem to watch it sort of ironically and oh, well, of course, I watch it because I laugh. I want to. And I just think, well, what's the point of that? Just Yeah, you're not getting no much out of it. I, I've had moments of that, I think, where I've sort of tried to watch it. It doesn't work because you just get dragged back into the stories more often than not. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the classic example of that is the arc in space with the uh, with the bubble wrap monster and the, and the, the well, you know, um, the guy with... Um, the guy who plays Noah with his yeah. hand covered mm-hmm. in green green bubble wrap, but then you get you know the scene where where the doctor's in the, the with the tank and then you see the full size Wirren, which I think you know in the darkness they look quite effective and mm-hmm. you can't not yeah you can laugh at, at the the very dodgy um, you know Wirren grub that looks vaguely phallic or very phallic actually <laughs> um, and. Um, but but then there's the sort of the the it, it's quite it's so well done as well and and the acting is is sort of first rate and it really helps to sell the 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 situation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's done with such conviction that you get swept along and you can look past you can see what they're trying to do rather than what they have done and I think yeah. that's a good way of watching a lot of Doctor Who where you bit well okay. It doesn't quite come off, but it doesn't matter. They've tried. Yeah, the, the, the ambition. So good, it doesn't. Yeah, and the actors are so good that they can convey what needs to be conveyed to you. In the, and I still find sort of Noah's fight between his human self and his Wirren self really, really well done. Mm-hmm. It, and also the bit where the door comes up and he's sort of half Wirren, half 
yeah. man, mm-hmm. and he's sort of deformed, and that's that's really quite well done. And you can you can understand why there was a bit that was cut where he said he you know you know he was pleading to Vira to to have, to, to kill him, and yeah, that probably would would have been a bit too much for half past five on a Saturday night. Yes, yeah, I could have traumatized a whole generation. Mm-hmm. Were you ever traumatized by Doctor Who? Was there anything in Doctor Who that scared you? as a kid most of the time i found the scary bits really fantastic because i i was somewhere safe so i was sat with my mum and so it was all right like like i said it was all right to be be scared because you've got someone by your side who's looking after you but there were two things that really really traumatized me um the mara and the cybermen so season 19 yeah and it the, the mara particularly because of the the possession of Tegan and other characters I found really terrifying. I had a real thing about losing yourself mm-hmm. and not being in, in 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 command of yourself that really disturbed me as a as a as a youngster. And the Cybermen I just thought were were terrifying. And particularly I think because my dad used to keep upstairs all the lights off in the rest of the house. Right. So so I'd have to go up to bed, but not necessarily, and go up to the landing, which was um, upstairs in the dark. And we had these big cupboards up there, and it Cybermen could have been hiding in those. And that was yes. what I was thinking. I remember running across the landing to the bathroom from my bedroom to go um, go and brush my teeth after Doctor Who, and that being, yeah, that was that was a big big trauma. And of course, they killed Adric, so that was yeah. was traumatizing in itself. So. And that's why the Cybermen were and are still my my favourite monster in Doctor Who because Earthshock was so brilliant and so unexpected. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I, I remember this the snake in Kinder because um, I've never liked snakes and that yeah even even now today I I won't watch the 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 um, the, the CGI version because it absolutely terrifies oh, okay. me. Um, but even <laughs> even the the version they did then, I know you can see yeah at one point that the, one of the fangs looks a little bit wobbly. But I I genuinely find that uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that scared me wasn't in the program itself, but was when we went to the Madame Two Swords Doctor Who experience. And um, two things. I know the Nymon don't really look very scary on television, but that exhibition, the lights were really down low. And suddenly, well, as a seven, eight-year-old looking up at this huge Nymon figure that was growling was mm-hmm. was very nerve-wracking. But the thing that scared me more than that was Meglos, because oh, it was really? it was yeah, it's it's the Doctor. But it's not the Doctor. It's the Doctor being taken oh, over by course. something. So there's this safe, wonderful character that's suddenly not safe and is staring down at you with its big eyes, green, scaly, green, spiky skin, hands outstretched like that. Yeah, my sisters and I were absolutely traumatised. And my parents, my dad in particular, was furious because I begged for us to go to Madame Two Swords to see this. And we just ended up being gibbering wrecks. And my dad's having to, my dad's stood here, stood next to us. Oh, quick, let's just get him out of here. And there was this American couple, this old sort of, you know, stereotypical American couple going, oh, gee, what's going on? And and 
this this man asked my dad, "Who is this guy?" And my and my dad said, "Oh, this is Davros." And he's sort of turning to his wife, he said, "It's Davros. Who's Davros? <laughs> Who's Davros? Davros created the Daleks. He created the Daleks. Oh, what's a Dalek?" And my dad said, "Oh, let's get out of here." <laughs> <laughs> I I went to Madame Two Swords as well. So um and um my parents always remember that being one of the few times I threw a tantrum in my childhood because oh, okay. I didn't want to leave the Doctor Who bit and see all the other boring bits that they were desperate to see. And um yeah, I got very upset and got very told off. <laughs> I th- I think yeah, even though I was scared I didn't really want to go, but it was like, no, come on, you're going. You let's go. Yeah, mm. and yeah, I seem to remember going again though. With the school got tickets to go, our, our primary school got tickets to go, and I begged my parents to that if we could go back again, if I could go with the school, and very grudgingly they agreed. So I think the second time, because I knew what to expect. I was, I, I yeah, uh, it was it was a bit better, and I just sort of kept mm-hmm. away, you know, sort of looking away from from Megalos. But even watching it now, I, I I remember that sort of memory of of suddenly Tom's face looks normal, and then suddenly you the camera the camera turns, and then he's back to looking, you know, like Megalos with the cactus face. I, yeah, very sad, I know, but there we go. No, well, no, it's true. I think there is something about Doctor Who that can take you back to where you were and how you were feeling when you first saw it, because it's all quite vivid in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, there are, there are moments I can remember of being sort of really thrilled by Doctor Who and have that same feeling sort of when I watch it. Um, part four of Curse of Fenric. I just remember being on the edge of my seat all the way through because I'd never seen Doctor Who quite like this before. Mm -hmm. And I still have that excitement from the cliffhanger to part three onwards where the story just goes up and up and up and just being swept along with it and Mm. still have that now. Yeah. Yeah, sort of in a similar vein, Remembrance of the Daleks, I remember watching and thinking, I really hope they don't kill off Rachel and Alison because they were really quite nice characters. And from my experience in Dalek stories, normally everybody gets killed. Yes. You, watch, you watch Resurrection of the Daleks, apart from Lytton, everyone's bumped off. You watch um, Revelation of the Daleks, apart from Tarkus and Lil, everyone's a goner. Even the nice character, like the DJ, they still end up dead. And I just, I was just thinking, please don't kill them off. Please don't kill them off. And it's quite, it's, I was... Very, yeah, I always remember that, thinking they're really nice characters. I didn't really, I wasn't really too bothered about Mike because he was a nasty piece of work. And, you know, I, I could tell even then at the age of 15 that there, there was a sort of like, they were, when when Radcliffe says, oh, you know, I fought for the wrong side in this world. I said, okay, so you're a Nazi, right? So you guys aren't, yeah. So when Mike gets his come up and so I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. But don't please, please don't kill off Alison and Rachel and 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 Gilmore because that was Simon Williams and I'd remembered Simon Williams being in stuff as a kid. I think he was in Don't Wait Up, wasn't he? That thing with Nigel Havers. As yes, the, that, as yeah. he was the best mm-hmm. friend in that. So he was sort of one of those people that you sort of see in TV at, at, at the time, and you think, oh, that's oh, it's quite a good actor then to have sort of I wouldn't say proper actors, but as the thing about season twenty-four, that was a bit more light entertainment comedy, comedy yeah. actors so robert you know richard Bryars, 
but also, you know, you, you, you associate Richard Briars with the good life and never decreasing circles. But he was doing Shakespeare as well. He'd done Malvolio <laughs> yeah. in Twelfth Night, which I remember seeing when we did GCSE um, English. We did Twelfth Night for that. Um, and he's brilliant in that. But you just think... Yeah, I've seen that production as well. Mm. And that was, yeah, really, really good. Amazing, yeah. So, mm. yeah, I mean, throughout sort of the 80s, I'd sort of... It, that sort of growing up and watching people who've been in other things being in Doctor Who. So Neris Hughes in Kinder, I'd seen her in the in in the Live of Birds, um, and of course Paul Darrow and Jacqueline Pierce in yeah. Time Lash and and the Two Doctors. And it was it was quite weird because um, oh who's the other one? Oh Rula Lenska and Chloe Ashcroft in in Resurrection of the Daleks. People would turn up more people that were more familiar to me in being in other things but it didn't spoil mm-hmm. my enjoyment it was it, in fact it made me possibly enjoy it more because i was thinking all oh, these are actors are these are really famous actors and they want to be in doctor who so if they're in doctor who obviously it must be doctor who must be something important and good to be to be in but michael grade obviously thought otherwise yeah <laughs> well, didn't he just did you feel about it coming back in 2005? Oh, very excited, to be honest. Um, I mean, once they said about they'd cast Christopher Eccleston and they were mentioning, you know, actors, you know, guest actors like Penelope Wilton and Simon Callow and Annette Badland, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. They're casting well. I was slightly dubious about Billy Piper. But I remember... My sit, one of my sisters saying to me, well, did you see her in this? Um, because they did a sort of modern version of the uh, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. And she, and they, she said, did you see her in that? I said, no, I didn't. Well, you should go and watch that because she's actually really good. And certainly by the end of Rose, I was absolutely smitten with her. She was just amazing. And, and Eccleston as well was wonderful. Um, I think we have sort of taken for granted now, don't we? That he just sort of... He did that first season and then he, you know, he disappeared. And, uh, you know, I know there was quite, there was, I know it's very difficult to, to think of Doctor Who fans overreacting, but there was this, <laughs> you know, one person saying he had no moral right to take the part if he was only going to be in one series. I'm thinking, where does moral right come into it? It's a TV show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But these things work out for a reason. And then if, if he'd stayed on, we might not have had David Tennant, who... I no, say and my it favorite. Have, yeah, it might not have captured the public imagination in the way that it really did. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's suddenly, I mean, I I was at a friend's house and there was a whole group of us watched the first episode, um, and I was almost sort of apologetic because I'd set the video at home and I'm like, look, we don't have to watch this. I can watch this later. Was really, they said, no, 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 come on, let's watch it. We want to see if it's if it's any good. And I think, you know, by and large, the, the, the opinion was actually that was really rather good mm-hmm. and, and you know, not like the old days. And, yeah, I, I don't know if everybody sort of continued watching it, but certainly people, friends of mine who've been quite dismissive of Doctor Who over the years started watching it. My sister started watching it. Um, I mean, my nephews, well, my, my oldest nephew was about two when the series came back. And so him and his younger brother, they grew up and they bought, they've got, they had Dalek figures and action figures as well growing up and all the books, which some of them have sort of been passed down to my children. So yeah, it was, 
I wouldn't say proud moment, but it felt quite nice that this thing that I'd been championing and, and enjoying all these years was suddenly being enjoyed by other people made me feel not quite so foolish to be honest and it was yeah it was just <laughs> nice to to not be the you know the older oh, the odd doctor who fan and and now everybody was watching it and everybody was enjoying it as well yeah, yeah. i always remember some um one of the people um that i i worked with at the time in the library um ali she came in and she said look she said my son really has really fallen in love with doctor who she said can you would you mind lending him some DVDs of the old series because he would really love to see mm-hmm. the history of Doctor Who? And I did, and I did that for a little while, and he, he'd borrow one a week, and it was wonderful. And she'd come back and said, "Oh yeah, he really loved that one." Because the first one I I, I lent him was Earthshock because I thought, well, that's a that's a good solid story. Yeah. That all yeah. It's nothing too bad in that one, it, but it's quite yeah, it's quite action packed. It's quite fast moving, and she said he absolutely adored it. Have you got one with Daleks? <laughs> and so we'd do this, and and every so often I'd throw in one that was completely up with nothing, nothing um, sort of that he would recognise in it, and yeah, yeah, and it was it was lovely. It was so so lovely to to see and inspire someone someone new and young. Um into the show the same way that, that we'd done, really. Yeah. I, I, I remember taking our two, our, my two eldest nephews to the Doctor Who um, experience when it was in London. Um, and the older one absolutely adored it. I mean, the younger one sort of grabbed when the Daleks came in. If you went, if you, I don't know if you ever went, you go in and, and you went into this sort of Dalek control room and the Daleks coming yeah. out towards mm-hmm. you. He was a little bit scared, but he was only... Three or four, but it was it was he 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 did like it. He he liked being. I think children like being scared. Well, we remember being scared of Doctor Who, but it was yeah. a safe scare, and and they grew up and that yeah they've they and their younger brother who's now ten or eleven. He's he's grown up with watching it as well, um, and I, I don't know if they still watch it, but I do remember my sister when she saw Spyfall. She said, "Oh, that was good, but we didn't realise there was a, a a whole series. We thought it was just the special, the two episodes, which did oh. mean they missed, mm-hmm. which did mean they missed Orphan Fifty Five. So, yeah, <laughs> that might have been a blessing. I I couldn't possibly. It's difficult, it's difficult to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember being at the Doctor Who experience um in London, and there was a bit where you you go in and you have to walk through the cracking in the wall, mm-hmm. and I remember one child just being." so absolutely petrified and just sobbing and said i can't do it we're all going to you'll forget me and it was just oh wow oh no, no. and it's just like this really visceral absolute fear and eventually sort of the whole sort of crowd sort of got behind and said look we're all we're all scared but we're all going to go through this and we're all and it'll be okay look we'll, we'll come out the other side and it'll be fine but it was just wow this is obviously was a really really big fear for this this kid yeah, I mean that's. I don't know. Do you feel in the last last few years, sort of sort of mid Moffat era, it's got a bit too dark for children? I, I'm now that I'm a dad, I'm I sort of watch Doctor Who to think, you know, can I watch? Can I let my kids watch it? And that's why I. That's why when it comes to Doctor Who, we've probably watched more classic than than modern. Mm-hmm. Um, we've watched New Earth, which 
my eldest was really didn't like, and he didn't like the the you know the patients with the, the sort of zombie patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and but my middle son, he sort of quite enjoy, he quite quite enjoys watching it. But they absolutely love Remembrance of the Daleks, Remembrance of the Daleks, yeah. and Planet mm-hmm. of the Daleks. And for some reason, Fury from the Deep, which my okay, wow, okay. But we've listened to that in the car. We've had to listen to that in the car, okay, quite a few times. And my eldest absolutely <laughs> loves, it. and he's, I think he's turning into into Toby Haydo because he's he's a bit worried about Van Lutchins, played by John Abenary. Oh, okay. so he's yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they, yeah, I mean, my my yeah, my eldest nephew had had um, nightmares about the Ood after mm-hmm. the Impossible Planet. Um, and was absolutely petrified of them, and particularly when their eyes went red. He, and he still says now, now he's twenty two. Says, he said, yeah, he said I still have that that fear whenever I see one. It just comes comes back. And I said, yeah, these things ne- always stay with you. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I and that was know. my dad being a bad babysitter that night and <laughs> going off to cook the dinner and leaving his six year old nephew to watch. The possibly the scariest Doctor Who of that year, <laughs> when he'd not been watching long. No, I mean, I, um, yeah, even as a thirty-year-old, I found that quite that bit where where he's really heard, yeah, the bit with Scooty where she's where he, Toby's out on the in the on the outside of the base and he's sort of beckoning her and has that very sinister grin. I'm like, yeah, no, I can, uh, yeah. I was a lot older than your nephew and I was scared of that. It was that was really quite <laughs> quite creepy, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a good yeah, it's yeah. a good good episode though, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah, I mean that's Doctor Who, isn't it? It's um this program that just sort of stays with you. As well I mean, as well as the scares, there's also the laughs. And I I love yes. Doctor Who when it's when it's funny. So I I love the scene in Ark in Space where the doctors shouting at Sarah because she she's stuck in the ventilator shaft and she won't move and then he pulls her out really awkwardly out of the, and she's like no I can manage I can manage I don't need your help I mean those two are just wonderful together and and of course my mm-hmm. all-time favorite moment of Doctor Who when they do the Marx Brothers walk in and walk straight oh, out again yeah which I know I, I, yeah they weren't supposed to do because Paddy Russell said no we don't have time and Tom's like to pop with this we're going to do it anyway and i'm you know that that's that's also one of the reasons why tom's probably my fate one of my favorite doctors is or probably my favorite doctor because he knew these things would would work he knew these things would be you know popular and and would make the audience laugh and sort of you know maybe diffuse the tension a little bit um so i, I yeah I, I love doctor who and it makes me laugh so whether it's you know Jodie Whittaker in the casino in 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 Spyfall, and she and she's snap, snap. <laughs> and and trying to trying to do a Scottish accent with those with those handcuffs going release release, <laughs> um, or or you know David Tennant when he he's he's on the horseback coming through the mirror and he's got this big grin on his face and he winks at Renette. Or it just it's it's one of those. I think, yeah, people sort of think about Doctor Who as being sort of dull and and sort of scary, and, and but there are some wonderfully funny moments in it. Um, I, I just you when I laugh at things in Doctor Who, my my children sort of look at me as if to say, "What, what are you laughing at?" But it's it's funny. Um, 
that's another i always remember watching the tv movie and the tardis at the end the tardis breaks down and i said hit it and of course and and two seconds later paul mcgann punches the the controls and it yeah it comes back it starts to work again and my friends who came around to watch it with me they said have you seen this before i said no that's what he always does yeah, and it's like, oh, you, oh, goodness, and oh. friends go, oh, for goodness' sake. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I know it's almost an impossible question, but what does Doctor Who mean to you, and what impact has it had on your life? It's made me poorer. Um, <laughs> That's for, yeah, I look at all the stuff in this room, and I think, yeah, hang on, <laughs> I'm never adding this up. <laughs> no, um, yeah, uh, yeah, but it's, I, I mean, it, it, it's brought me a lot of joy over the years. It's made me, mm-hmm. it's, it's in in some respects, it's my my go to if I'm, um, you know, if I need cheering up. Um, I, I found an old uh, diary of mine from early my early twenties, and there was one day when I I said didn't do much, just watched, and it was it was about three or four Doctor Who stories. Of course, back in the days before the new series, so I I basically spent my whole day watching Doctor Who. I think there was um, Androids of Tara and Destiny of the Daleks was in there, and Ark of Infinity. Ark of Infinity, wow. Is that really wow. one you want to watch when you want to cheer yourself up? Um, I mean, I yeah, I, I it's it's brought me a lot of yeah, a lot of joy and a lot of um, I mean, and and also doing podcasts like these to talk about Doctor and to share the, to share the love. It's been great fun and, mm-hmm. and I, I love. I mean, I, I'll sh- I'll show you my the, the um, as you can see the uh, the. Um, Show you, I don't know if you can see that. Can you see that on the on the? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's my son's collection of, of Doctor Who um, figures and Daleks, and and so it's something now that I can share with them. Even if we don't, even if my you know older son doesn't like to watch it, and I say, should we watch Doctor Who? And then, no, no, no. And then yeah, then and then when we do actually watch it, they do they do enjoy it. I mean, the animations, I know some fans have been very dismissive of those animations, but they they work for the kids. We've watched Evil of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. We've, watched, we've watched Fury from the Deep and Power of the Daleks as well. And they really enjoy them. And um, wow. yeah, it's, you know, never mind about it's, it's you know, a, an, an accurate record of what it would have looked like. It's actually more important, I think, to make it as a as accessible to to a, a new generation we sort of jokingly call them the you know the doctor who cartoons rather than animations i think there's you know it's a bit of a snobbery in in the case of some doctor yeah. fans we yeah. can't call them cartoons but yeah that's what they are that's what they are and I, <laughs> I, i'm really looking forward i haven't bought it yet but I, i'm really looking forward to seeing the underwater menace because that looks really there's something I've, from the clips I've seen. It's almost sort of something Scooby Doo like about that, and that's something that from my kids, from my childhood, that I used to love watching. And again, I found that a little bit more scary than Doctor Who because you had those, you know, whoever, whatever the, the villain of the week was. Some of them were quite creepy, um, possibly even more so than Doctor Who because it wasn't. It was sort of anima- animation. It made it a little bit more creepy than something that was real life mm-hmm. that I knew would be a person inside so yeah so i'm looking forward to seeing the underwater menace 
it works really well as a cartoon. <laughs> it's a story that lends itself to that. So I yeah. can imagine. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you'll all enjoy that. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's lovely to hear your story. And we'll be popping the Dalek onto the shelf next to Fraser's Trial of a Time Lord tin. Yeah, I, I couldn't find mine. I've got one somewhere. But uh, yeah, shows how younger he is than I am. If he can, that's the oldest uh, piece of merchandise that he's got. Made me, made me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And thank you very much to Daniel as well. Thank you. Um, We'll be back soon with another trip to the library and we'll see who's come along and what object they've brought for me to talk about.